0: Well, good evening and welcome to our midweek Pastors Bible Study. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us for the first time. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to all of those of you who are joining us by Facebook, by YouTube, as well as at MyFaithBible.org. You know, I've been talking to you a lot about wisdom. You've been hearing me repeat the word wisdom over and over, how we need wisdom throughout this whole ordeal and... I realized that uh, I had not expounded very much on what wisdom is and where you get it from. When our faith is tried, uh, in a lot of ways like it's being tried right now, what we need more than anything else is wisdom. And the reason why is because wisdom tells us what to do when we don't know what to do. Your know, wisdom guides us in the proper decisions in life. When when somebody is attacking you, you need wisdom to know how to respond. When somebody makes you an offer, you need wisdom to know whether or not you should accept it. When you're having problems in your marriage, you gotta have wisdom in order to know what to do. As a parent, you need wisdom as a Christian. You need wisdom every day in every situation, uh, in all areas of our lives. The one thing that that we need the most is wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Let me me define wisdom in this way. Wisdom is God giving you the supernatural capacity to act with good judgment. I'm going to repeat that. Wisdom is God giving you. The supernatural capacity to act with good judgment. Notice two things about that definition. Number one, wisdom comes from God. It comes from God. And what God is doing when he gives you wisdom is he's giving you, get it, the supernatural capacity in other words this is capacity outside of yourself this is not your thinking this is what god deposits into your life it's the supernatural capacity to act with good judgment now watch this don't confuse wisdom with knowledge don't confuse wisdom with knowledge they they are not the same many of us think that wisdom is what we know But wisdom is not what we know that's knowledge. You can have knowledge and not be wise. See, wisdom is having the ability to apply knowledge in the right situation. I'll say that again. Wisdom is having the ability to apply the knowledge that you have in the right situation. See, you can have knowledge, but you got to know how to apply it. I know a lot of people who know what the Word of God says, but some of them don't know how to apply it. I know a lot of people who know what the Word of God says, but they don't know when and where or how to use it. They know what the verses say, but they don't know how and when to use them. That's why you have some people right now who are saying, if you have faith, then you would have church. Well, that's not wisdom, because first of all, we hadn't stopped having church we're still gathering. It just looks different. And yeah, we got to have faith, but I've been saying all along that we have to have wisdom. And wisdom says that God's given us another avenue to have church while we don't put people at risk of dying. And so we have to use wisdom. That's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. You got to know how to apply the knowledge that you have, I'll never forget before I became a pastor, there were things that my father would tell me that I had knowledge of before I became a pastor. But but I didn't know, know it like I know it now. I, it wasn't wisdom for me. I, I thought I knew it, but until I got in the situation where I had to use it, I, I, I really didn't know it like I thought I did. See, knowledge hits different, the young people say, when life happens. That, that same knowledge hits a whole lot different when life happens. And, and knowledge doesn't become wisdom until you're in a situation where you have to use what you know and you do it effectively. That's why most of us know people who are educated fools. They they have a ton of knowledge. They have brilliant academic records, but they, they can't make the simplest decisions in life. See, knowledge is information, but wisdom is information with application. Knowledge is comprehending facts. Wisdom is being able to apply those facts to life. Knowledge is theoretical. Wisdom is practical. Now watch what James 1, 2 through 5 says. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. He says this, he says, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. And then he says this in verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, notice what he says, and it will be given to him. Notice that James talks about wisdom when he talks about trials. See, most of us know how to pray when we face trials. But what James does is he challenges us to do what Solomon did. And that is, he challenges us about praying for wisdom when we're facing trials. He challenges us about what we're praying for when we face face the trial. Most of the time when we're in a trial or going through something, we we pray for the trial to go away. Lord, just get rid of it. Just get me out of it. Just Fix it right now in the name of Jesus. And listen, I'm not knocking that. There's nothing wrong with that. But did it ever occur to you that God might be trying to produce something in you while you're in it? See, notice what James says about trials in verse 2. He says, My brethren, count it all or consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. See, listen, listen, listen. Sometimes... The reason why God has put you in that trial is because of what he wants to produce in you. See, and releasing you from that trial won't produce what he wants to produce in you. I I tell us all the time, God is way more concerned with our character than he is, our comfort. And sometimes wisdom says... I don't focus on getting out of the trial. Instead, I focus on what God wants to get out of it. I don't focus on getting out of the trial. I focus on what he wants to get out of me while I'm in it. I don't focus on getting out of the trial. Instead, I focus on what God wants to do to me and through me while I'm in it. Wisdom, when I'm in difficulty, doesn't just say, Lord, get me out of this. Sometimes wisdom says, Lord, what are you trying to get out of me? I'm going to say that again. Wisdom, when I'm in difficulty, doesn't always say, sometimes doesn't say, Lord, get me out of this. Wisdom when I'm in difficulty sometimes says, Lord, what are you trying to get out of me? Lord, what are you trying to get out of this? Help me see this mess like you see it. Help me see this trial like you see it. Help me to see what you want me to see. See, wisdom keep, helps me to not waste the opportunity that God gives me while I'm in the trial." With wisdom, we'll, we'll without wisdom, I should say, we'll get so focused on the fact that we're in the trial that a lot of times we'll miss the opportunity that God sends us while we're in it. We're, we're so focused on the, focus on the fact I'm going through something. I'm experiencing something. I'm encountering something. Oh, this weight is too much to bear. and I don't know why God let me go through this. Watch this. But when I ask God, for wisdom, when I focus on asking God what He wants me to see through this, it changes, and now I start to see the opportunities that God puts in front of me while I'm winning. Get this wisdom helps me understand how to use the circumstances for God's good and his glory. Wisdom is being able to see my trial, to see what I'm going through, not from my perspective, but from God's perspective. Now watch Jesus. And this right here is before he goes to the cross. He he goes to a place called Gethsemane. And when he got to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that he experienced sorrow to the point where he sweat great drops of blood. Why was he experiencing sorrow, Pastor? Well, he was experiencing sorrow because the Garden of Gethsemane was where he went to deal with the tough stuff, where he went to deal with the fact that he was going to be suffering. And he knew that he was about to go through. He knew that he was about to face some tough stuff. And the garden of Gethsemane was his place where he went to deal with what he knew was going to happen in his life. The bad stuff that he knew that he wasn't going to like. Now watch this. Here's a big deal. Being in the garden of Gethsemane was not something that was unusual for Jesus. When you look at the Bible, the Bible says that it was his usual place where he would go when he was in Jerusalem. In other words, when he, every time he was there, he would go and he would sit and he would pray and he would spend time in the Garden of Gethsemane. So watch this. The situation for him was new, but the garden was a place that he knew very well. Gethsemane was where he prayed all the time when he was in Jerusalem. And here's the deal. Everybody needs a Gethsemane. Everybody needs a hiding place. Everybody needs a place to go where you can get along with God. Everybody needs a place where you can go to lay whatever life is throwing at you before God. Everybody needs a place where you know that you can go and be undisturbed while you get alone with God and listen to me it doesn't have to be fancy it it doesn't have to be all nice it can be a closet I know people who use their closet I know people who use their porch The, the the place really doesn't matter. Some people use their car, they sitting in the car, it's the only place they can get peace, but the place really doesn't matter. What matters is your Gethsemane is where you get alone all by yourself with God, and that's the only thing that matters. Everybody needs a Gethsemane, a place where you can go and clear out the distractions from the world, get out of the presence of everybody and everything and get some quiet time in the presence of God now watch something interesting about what happened during this time in Jesus life that he had 12 disciples 12 disciples but watch this when he got to this point in his life wisdom told him that he should only take three of them into the garden with him see Everybody in the group had a different assignment in Jesus' life during his darkest hour. Notice what Matthew 26, 36 says, what Jesus tells the first eight to do. It says, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, watch what happens in verse 37. It says he took Peter and... And the two sons of Zebedee, that's three people, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Watch this. After he separated from the eight, notice he doesn't become sorrowful until he gets alone with the three. So Jesus only let three of his disciples in on his sorrow. Well, pastor, you said eight, and then he took three, That's 11. Why were there only 11 disciples at Gethsemane? Because of wisdom. There were actually 12, but one of them he actually released before he got to Gethsemane. He had already released Judas to go betray him at the Lord's Supper. He didn't even bring him on the journey to Gethsemane with him. See, here's the deal. Wisdom says that at some point, Just like Jesus did with Judas, you have to release people to be who they are. That doesn't necessarily mean that you get them out of your life, but what you got to learn to do is operate with wisdom and release them in your mind. I see people right now who are fussing and fighting, going back with people, you shouldn't be out, you should be out. You ought to do this. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go there. You ought to go there. Why are you at the store? Why don't you have on a mask? Why don't you have on gloves? So on and so forth. Listen, listen, listen. You got to hear me on this. You have to release people to be who they are. Some folks not taking the virus seriously and so on and so forth. You got to hear me on this. Jesus didn't even try to change Judas. He just released him to go be who he was. See, here's the deal. Sometimes we hold on to our ideas of who people ought to be. And what we try to do is fit them into the mold of who we think they ought to be. And what you got to learn to do is release people from the picture that you've painted of them and deal with them based on who they've shown you they are. And that don't mean you got to hate them. That don't mean you got to treat them bad. That don't mean that you got to disassociate with them. That doesn't mean that God can't change them. That don't mean you don't pray for them. But what that does mean is you release them in your mind to be who they really are. In other words, you stop trying to make them fit your picture. You gotta quit expecting folk to be more to you than they showed you that they're gonna be. A lot of times we assign our mental picture to the person and we spend all of our time trying to make them fit that mental picture. And just because that's your picture, it doesn't mean that that's who they are. And wisdom says, I know who you are. I accept who you are. I'm gonna pray for Changing your life, but I'm not God and I can't change you. Jesus knew who Judas was and he knew what he was going to do, so he just released him to be who he was. Now, I want to be very, very clear, okay? I got to be clear. Don't be around here telling your husband that pastor say I, I got to release you to be the rotten, low-down, no-good dog that you are, because that's no, that's not this message. Fellas, don't you be saying that Pastor Nate said, uh, to your wife, uh, I gotta let you go be the nasty, no-cleaning woman that God made you. That is not what I am saying, because first of all, if you marry, married, you work through it. You get counseling, you go to God, you pray through it. Besides, if they all of that, low down, rotten, nasty, no good, a dog, and all that kind of stuff, chances are they were that way before you married them. But I ain't want to gossip, so you ain't heard it from me. But what I am saying is that even in that situation, you got to realize you can't change who they are. Only God can do that. And when they show you who they are, you got to believe them and stop trying to make them into who you want them to be. Wisdom says I allow people to be who they are and I leave it to God to change their lives. Paul and Barnabas, they disagreed about one guy and they were saying, You know what? What should we do? And they were like, Well, we disagree. What did wisdom say? Wisdom said, Because of our disagreement, we're not going to fight, we're not going to argue, we're not going to fall out with one another. But what we're going to do is, Because we can't continue to minister effectively because of this disagreement, you go your way and I'll go mine. Let's go our separate ways. We still love each other, but we are releasing one another to go be who we are. You, you go minister there, I'll minister here, and we just part ways so we can still be effective. And sometimes, you got to hear me, listen, 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 for the sake of of your own mission in life and for the sake of your own peace in your own heart you gotta wisdom says I part ways with people who aren't going in the same direction that I'm going in you gotta part ways with folk who aren't doing you any good folk who don't mean you any good folk who are up to no good and are trying ain't trying to be no good never, say, never forget that story of a man who saved the snake see it was cold you know, snake was on the side of the road, he's almost dead. Man pulled his car over, He's was gonna be a good Samaritan. You know, pulled a car over, saw the snake, got out of the car, and forgive me, I've been watching Tiger King. I saw all of them lions and tigers and bears. And all I'm gonna say is I noticed who wasn't on the Tiger King playing with snakes and lions <laughs> and tigers and bears. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I, I noticed who wasn't playing with snakes and lions and tigers and bears. So chances are, the man in my story, we know who it wasn't. That's all I got to say about that. But the man saved the snake. He pulled over. The snake was cold. He was almost dead. He pulled over. The man picked up the snake, put it in his coat. Say a little while later, the snake got warm and started moving around. And the snake got real warm and started moving around real good. See, all of a sudden, the man said, ooh. Snake bit him. Man pulled the snake out of his jacket and said, why'd you bite me? I saved your life. You were on the side of the road. You were left for dead. And if I hadn't stopped to get you, then you would have been dead. How dare you bite me? Snake said, you knew I was a snake when you picked me up. In other words, you can't change the fact that I'm a snake. Watch this. Wisdom says that when people show you who they are, Believe them and release them to be who they are because the people in your life, especially when you're going through trials, can either be your greatest asset or your worst curse. If you've got the right people in your life, they lift you up, they encourage you, they make you a better person. But all the wrong people can be distracting, they can be destructive, and they can be And if you don't ask God for wisdom, if you don't operate with godly wisdom, if you don't ask God for his wisdom, you will have surrounded yourself with Judases who are snakes who don't want nothing for you but everything from you. Second thing is this. Notice what he does. Watch wisdom. Watch Jesus. In verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Watch this. And he said to them, sit here. After he released Judas, he took the rest of them to Gethsemane. And then he said to eight of them, he said, sit here while I go pray. See, the first eight, he just told them to sit down. That's all he did. Before he even went into his sorrow. I want you to notice this. Verse 36 says, he told them to sit here. And then he didn't start to stress and be grieved and show sorrow until verse 37. Listen to me. He doesn't let all of the disciples in on his sorrow. See, watch this. Wisdom tells me who to let in on my sorrow. And the problem for many of us is we let everybody in on what we're going through. And the problem with that is when you're going through something, not everybody who shows up is there to support you. Some people only showed up to watch you suffer. See, the assignment that you have to give somebody People, when you're going through, is all I need you to do is sit down. You got to give them the same assignment that Jesus Christ gave the eight. I just need you to sit down. Not because we're not friends, but because you're not that friend in my life. Just sit down. I'm going through something messy, and the last thing I need is messy people around me sit down down. I'm going through something destructive and because I'm going through something destructive the last thing I need are destructive people around me. I need you to take a seat in my life right now. I'm dealing with something draining and you tend to be draining and I can't give you life when I need somebody to give me life. All I need you to do right now in my life is just sit Down And watch this. Everybody can't handle you at your weakest hour. That's why you you can't invite everybody into your sorrow. Everybody can't handle you at your weakest hour. Everybody in your circle ain't ready for the ugly you. Everybody everybody you run with ain't ready for the messed up you. You can't let everybody in on what you're going through. Wisdom says, I know who to let in on my sorrow. Watch this. Some of us are way too quick to tell everybody what we're going through. You you tell anybody who will listen all your business, everything you're going through. You cry to anybody with a shoulder, and that's everybody. You, 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 you gotta learn to operate with wisdom. Some some folks, you gotta leave them out of your business. So some of us gotta stop letting everybody in the garden. We gotta stop letting everybody in our garden. And you could take that in more ways than one. <laughs> You got to realize that everybody who's around you ain't behind you. Some folk only want to use your sorrow against you. Other folk glad to see you in it. Other people just want something to talk about. And some other folk don't mean no harm, but they look up to you. And seeing you in sorrow is only going to mess them up. You can't let everybody in on it. How do I know if I need them to sit down, Pastor? Well... If they're more focused on them than you when you're in sorrow, you probably need to tell them to sit down. If every time you tell them a story about what you're going through, they they tell you a story about something bigger that they're going through, sit down. If if they contributed to the fact that you're in sorrow, sit on down. If If they knew the sorrow was coming to your life but didn't tell you or try to stop it, take a seat if 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 you don't absolutely know that you they got your back while you go through it, tell them, I appreciate the concern or the lack thereof, but right now in my life, I'm going to need you to take a seat. Don't do nothing. Don't say nothing. Don't volunteer nothing because you won't make the situation. You'll only make it worse. Right now, my godly wisdom is telling me to ask you to take a seat in my life. So watch this. I got to go. When you get time, to read it. Three times Jesus comes to check on the disciples, and three times he finds them sleeping. And every time he finds them sleeping, he says, listen, you ought to be praying right now. And he goes back to pray, and he comes back, and he finds them sleeping again. And he tells him, he says, you ought to be praying right now. And he goes back and he prays and he finds him sleeping again. Now, fast forward in the story. And when the trial comes, Jesus stands strong and the disciples took off running. The disciples got sta- scared. I think it has something to do with the fact that when he was supposed to be praying, he was praying. And when they were supposed to be praying, they were found to be sleeping. Because watch what happens in Luke 22 when Jesus was praying. The Bible says an angel appeared to him. Strengthening him. see, watch this. a few verses ago he was troubled and sorrowful to the point where he was near death. he was overwhelmed with what he was facing. but when the angel appeared, God says that the angel gave him strength and then watch what he tells his disciples after the angel gave him strength in Matthew 26:46, he says, "Get up. He says, let's go. The one who betrays me is at hand. Now, I want you to understand something. When he says, get up and let's go, he's not running away from the betrayer. He's running to him. He's not running away from trouble. He's running right to it. Watch this. How did he have the strength? how did he have the tenacity how did he have the fortitude to run to trouble as opposed to running away from trouble where did that determination come from it came from god through prayer and we don't know what the angel said we don't know what the angel did all we know is that he gave him strength. Maybe he gave him a glimpse of the resurrection. I don't know. Maybe he showed him all of the lost souls that were going to be saved. I don't know. Maybe he reminded him that this was God's purpose and his plan for his life. I don't know. All I know is when Jesus came out of the garden for the last time, he had found peace with what God wanted for his life. He was ready to face whatever he had to go through and can I tell you that that's what prayer does it strengthens you for the task it gives you supernatural strength for what you're facing through prayer God gives you peace about it he gives you the reassurance that you can make it and get this he gives you the wisdom that you need while you're in it go back to James chapter 1 Verse 2 through 5, and I'm going to read it again. Watch what it says. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How do I consider it joy? Here's what he says. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith, in other words, when you go through trials, God's producing something in you. Watch what he says. Verse 3, he says this. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, verse 4, says this. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But watch this. When you don't know what to do, if you lack wisdom, here's what he says. Let him ask, there's prayer, of God. And here's what God says he'll do. He'll give to all generously, and without reproach, it will be given to him. Wisdom is not automatic. You don't just get wisdom. It doesn't just happen. You got to ask God for it. But you know the cool thing about wisdom? God freely gives it. And it doesn't depend on who we are. It depends on who he is. Father, we love you. Thank you for the fact that you're generous with wisdom. And right now is a time when we need it more than we've ever needed it before. Show us what to do. Show us how to maneuver. Show us what to say yes to and what to say no to. Show us what to come and go to. Show us, Father, what it is that you want us to do during these times. Make it billboard clear for us, Father. Lord, we humble ourselves under your mighty hand, recognizing that wisdom comes from you, Father, and we're going to seek you for it. Lord, and we're going to thank you for it. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.